When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Tennis Director, Australia's favourite online tennis store with fast delivery and great prices. Free delivery on orders over $150. Just visit their website, tennisdirect.com.au and you can get a 10% discount store-wide. Just use the promo code FIRSTSERVE10. That's FIRSTSERVE10. Welcome to Crunching the Numbers, the first serves in-depth look at the art and science of playing the game. Hello and welcome to another episode of Crunching the Numbers. I'm Mark Sapphalls from the Tennis Menu and alongside me, as always, we have Shane Leonard from Data Driven Sports Analytics who has a great package on the Tennis Menu and you can go to the Tennis Menu to subscribe for free and get a free account and check out all of the free content that we do have on there. But you can also sign up and get the greatest data drills and also flexibility mobility exercises uh, for a very low price. So get to the tennis menu for whatever you need from a tennis perspective. And this man here, Shane Leonage, has been our man who has been crunching numbers for about 30 odd weeks now and doing a great job of it. He's the most wanted man on the WTA ATP tour for, for stats and data these days. Thank you very much for joining us, Mr. Shane, uh, and uh, hopefully, hopefully it finds you not too busy or as busy as it was during Roland Garros. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for the introduction. I, um, I always have to shrink my head after talking to you. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, look, it was a great tournament. Um, glad to have a, a few days breather, but with the uh, condensed schedule, it, it means that we've got uh, players playing in, in a few events this week as well. Absolutely. It's, it's quite a, a busy time of year, and obviously a lot of players wanting to get uh, a lot of matches under their belt because they have missed a big chunk of the year through the COVID restrictions. So uh, you're obviously still busy, still crunching numbers on uh, on your athletes. But uh, today we're going to look at crunching the numbers from the final and uh, of the final of the Roland Garros men's and women's event and how Nadal dismantled Novak Djokovic and also the great form of the young Polish Igor Fiontek, the 19-year-old who has taken the world by storm, ranked number 54 in the world prior to the event and comes in and absolutely annihilates her opposition right the way through without dropping more than four games in a set for the entire tournament. So Shane, I know you've been looking at the numbers and and dissecting it. We had a a great look at it a few times over the last couple of days, but uh, what did you find? Let's start with the men's side of the draw and how Nadal went about his, his victory against Novak Djokovic. Yeah, look, it was a a very interesting final. um, And I think, Going into it, there was a lot of hype about um, about the matchup, about the conditions, and how Nadal will struggle. And then even even the roof closing in the last ten minutes before the match starting, completely in, in Novak's favor. But yeah, Nadal came out, and he he actually and I've watched a lot a lot of these guys play and got got data on a lot of their matches. But he came out and he played 
a little bit differently. Um, and, and the biggest difference, um, and the numbers show it, was the variance in ground stroke speed. So he would alternate between uh, a slower ball, primarily directed at, at Novak's backhand, um, and then flattening it out. <laughs> so the differential between the shots was so significant that um, it really caused Novak a lot of trouble and, and didn't let him get a lot of rhythm. Um, so we might start on that point. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. And, I, and I'm glad the data says that because I was watching the match thinking, wow, look at the variance of what he's doing here to, to beat to beat Novak. And Novak obviously is a, and I classify him as a counter puncher with aggressive baseline tendencies. So that's his secondary game style. Is it? There's obviously a, uh, I'm really big on, there's a, a primary game style, secondary game style. And to beat Novak, especially the backhand wing, if you go hard at the backhand wing, he uses the ball speed and, and and deflects it back where he wants and uses that speed. But if you go slow, you go heavy, or you slice the ball to the backhand, he finds it really hard to generate off that wing. I guess the flip side of that is the forehand side is the total opposite. So he needs time. He needs space. He's got a semi-Western grip. He likes to, to wind it up a little bit and have time to be able to really generate ball speed with the momentum of his swing. So you have to take that time away from him. You can't give him space. You can't give him time. And Nadal was just pinning the backhand corner over and over again. Slow ball. He'd slice it. He'd lift it nice and high. I'm, ho- I'm hoping you've got something on that because I think that's an important one. He'd go high to the backhand really slow. And then when his opportunity came and he had time and space, Nadal would ping Djokovic's forehand with a really quick, hard, flatter ball than what he was doing to the backhand side. So um, that was my eyes looking at it. And I'm glad that your data did pick that up because at the end of the day, it's like, it's really important that, that my opinion or the coach's opinion is matched through numbers. Yeah, absolutely. And it certainly did. And I, and I think um, in terms of shots flattening out, he was about 5% higher um, on that point going at the, the Djokovic forehand than, than in previous encounters. And he actually sliced about three or four percent more than previous encounters um and and a lot of that was directed towards the back end but one of the things we look at is court court locations and and there was a specific spot um, on the backhand side maybe three quarters of the way up and Nadal was really targeting getting the ball there keeping it low no pace um and Djokovic really couldn't hurt him from that position uh, on the backhand and um, and that's something um, I think you know, definitely uh, Carlos Moya said before the match, they had a plan and they had a, an idea where they wanted Djokovic to be. And I think that was definitely something that they sort of brainstormed together. And, and Nadal, to, to his credit, he ex- executed perfectly. The first two sets, um, unbelievable. Uh, that level that he played at, I mean, this, I, I don't, he's lost twice on Roland Garros, but he isn't the spring chicken anymore. I didn't think he could come out and do that. Absolutely, 100% right. And I think, the, the slice that you're referring to is the one that just drags the opponent um, just off the baseline. So it's almost like in between, do I hit it and come forward and go to the net or do I hit it and go backwards? And it almost, it, it sort of draws you to do sort of none of, none of the above. Um, and it's sort of like a, a really tough situation. If your feet are positioned one step inside the baseline or even, even a, a step and a half, you kind of find it really challenging to make that right decision. And, I know that's how uh, Misha's Zverev beat Andy Murray in the Australian Open about three years ago. Um, he did the same sort of ploy and tried to draw Andy Murray forward to come to the net. Now, in this match here, Novak Djokovic obviously came forward, I think it was 27 times to the net, which is 
pretty pretty significant for Novak Djokovic because he's generally not that kind of player. But he obviously found that he had to be more aggressive to beat Nadal on the day, and his error count was a lot higher. There's no doubt you'll go through that. But um, you know the, the ploy to try and draw him forward takes him out of his comfort zone, which I think Nadal did extremely well, and then he was able to open up through depth on the next ball. Yeah, it's and, and it's an interesting one because I think that this matchup's gone through a number of stages and they've both sort of uh, reinvented the way that they're playing each other. And, and I think that's a strategy that the Nadal team will, will look to bring to even a hard court, um, even a grass court. I think it's, um, it's something that uh, th- this clay court, it's still a clay court, but uh, compared to most years, it probably played less like clay court uh, than, than the past. And, and the fact that this strategy works so well, uh, I'm sure I'm sure this will be something they look at. Uh, well, one thing you touched on, sort of Novak coming forward, one thing that I kept hearing in the media was his use of the drop shot. And he was using it right the way throughout from round one to, to all the way to the final. And, and even he, he mentioned in the pre- press conference, um, talking it up a little bit, it was a strategy where I think he hit 29 drop shots or attempted 29 and he only won 13. So a success rate of 45% and crunching the data and not just for that, that, that match. Well, one of the things that we found was the more that you use the drop shot, the more predictable it became and the less success you were having. And, and I, I felt like Djokovic probably relied on it too much and went to the well too much. Um, and one, he lost a bit of rhythm on his other ground strokes. He was making one four-star errors, the shot after the, a point with a drop shot. And two, Nadal was starting to read it and redirect it. And, and, and Novak would have to play a follow-up ball. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on the drop shot. Yeah, well, I think it worked successfully well against Tsitsipas in the semi-final. Um, and I think that's what he was looking at. And, and look, it was a, it definitely a good ploy against Nadal, who does position himself really far behind the baseline to open him up. But as you did say, when you overuse it, it becomes so predictable that, you know, Nadal was all over it every time he did it. Now, he obviously came into the match, Djokovic, with a plan that was get Nadal off the baseline with the drop shot and also come forward and, and make the points a bit shorter or try to make the points a bit shorter and make sure he was more aggressive. And both ploys obviously backfired a little bit. I think Nadal executed his plan uh, a lot better than what what Novak did. But, you know, the drop shot for me was a great success in his previous matches, which I know, um, you know, he's obviously gotten through them. But, uh, you know, Nadal was – he's obviously someone who reads the game extremely well and extremely quick. And when he gets there, he not only just makes the ball, he does something with it. And that was probably the difference between him and Tsitsipas, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think it, it certainly worked well in the previous rounds. I, I just felt like Novak – did himself a disservice. He, he's actually one of the best players in sort of five plus rally category. He can beat anyone from the baseline and he has proven he's matched Nadal on clay on, on a baseline in those long rallies. Yes, Nadal's probably slightly above him there, but I felt like he tried to deviate too much from the way he plays um, and, and, and it, Backfired certainly the first two sets. He really, for all all that effort, um, he he only had two games. Yeah, and I don't think Nadal uh, Novak's been listening to our podcast because he would have known the eighty twenty rule. And he actually hasn't worked his eighty percent strengths. He's played he's played basically twenty percent of his strengths and gone off his game to try and try and win that match. And we're really big on that. Is to you know your strengths are going to outweigh how you beat an opponent. And if you can play to your strengths a lot more often, that'll get you more success. So, um, you know, really good. Obviously, numbers that you've gone through with that and obviously it dissects that match really well. And obviously, uh, seeing Nadal win his 13th Roland Garros is one of the most incredible feats. And I don't think we'll ever see that in our lifetime of someone winning 13 of the same event or same Grand Slam um, the way Nadal has. And, 
he's been incredible. And obviously, you know, there was a couple of great little photos that came out over the last few days where people have made him 60-year-old Nadal winning his, you know, 50th Roland Garros. And I think that's uh, – it's incredible watching um, watching what people do online. But he's been an absolute master on that court um, at Philippe Chatrier and, and been – Phenomenal player at Roland Garros for for many years, and I think his records now 100 wins and two losses. I think it yeah, stems right. so. Here's some mind blowing stats, and let's get to the women very quickly. But Nadal on clay wins 56 percent of points and has won 91 percent of his matches at Roland Garros. He's won 58 percent of points, so two more percent, and he's won 98 percent of those matches. Unbelievable data, uh, unbelievable stats on just that kind of dominance. I, I don't think. Uh, I'll, I'll ever see that again in my lifetime. Yeah. Incredible. I mean, for a 98% winning record to only have a 58% point winning record, it just shows you that it's really important to teach our players in the development of, you know, you are going to lose 50% of your points. So you better learn how to lose. And the best players know how to lose and they're, they're, they're accepting of it. They're accepting of mistakes and they're accepting to be able to move on. Um, and if you can't accept mistakes or playing poorly, then, you know, this sport isn't for you. So it was great, great data and, and well done on that research. I think that's incredible. Let's move on to the, the women's side of the draw where I can never, ever pick a winner on the women's side of the draw in any tournament that goes ahead. It's harder to pick than a clean nose, the women's tennis. And th- this was absolutely phenomenal. Iga Swiatek, the Polish superstar who won Roland Garros two years ago in the juniors, has come out and won the women's event, ranked 54 in the world. What an amazing tournament she had, only dropping uh, four games at most in a set, did not drop a set for the entire tournament. So incredible stats, incredible result. Shane, what did you notice about the way that Iga Swiatek did play the game? Yeah, look, her run was incredible. And you're right, um, picking a winner is very difficult on the WTA. I, um, it's, it's great, though. It's, a, it's good fun and, and it's nice to see um, such a such a, um, a wide sort of net of players going into tournaments with the belief that they can that can win it. To Kennan's credit, I, I felt like that that first set was the most um, pressure that Eager felt in the whole match. I think at 3-5 and when it got to 4-5, I, I think it, it was definitely a line ball in terms of who was going to win that set. Eager went back to to her strengths and, and, and one of the things that we, we noticed in the data was she she used the angles more than any other player in the tournament. Something we've talked about sort of off air, uh, it, it just feels like there's a new crop of players coming through that are playing more sort of male patterns, we could say. So using more angles, using more slice, even coming forward a little bit more than the traditional sort of WTA player. And, and I think, yeah, we, we saw that certainly with Igor Swiatek. I'm probably getting the name wrong, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it was great to see that and great to see her her, her win. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the thing that I, I think you hit the nail on the head, her width of ball is just so different to the female game. You know, generally the, the WTA play players play through the baseline. So the ball dissects the baseline before it dissects the sideline. Eager has played the, the Roland Garros tournament, the whole tournament, dissecting the sideline first. And, you know, that that was, I don't know what your stats were, but I would, I would have said it would have been more than going through the baseline. She was playing with width. She was serving with width to be able to create width on the second ball. She brought angles into the game. Um, and to beat her, you can't play with angle. If you give her the width, she creates doubly um, more width than what you're doing. And and the other thing that she did do, you did say male-orientated uh, patterns. She was coming forward as well as sitting back. So she could play with power, she could play with width, and she came forward a lot of the time too, which I felt she had great variability in her game, great adaptability to the current conditions and environment. 
and was able to really pressure girls in all elements of the game and not just through angle. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, throughout the tournament, uh, if you're looking at her first and second serves, um, both on the juice and add, she'd go out wide and that just she wants to start the point off by moving her opponent off the court and then uh, going the other way. So um, she, she uh, did that through the tournament. In the final, she um, did actually target the Kennan backhand um, on, on the on the first and second serve. And I, I felt like the, the serve out wide on the ad court worked really well. She won a huge amount of points there. I, I felt under pressure when she started sort of going at, on the juice side to the backhand of Kennan, she didn't get the same reward, um, which she sort of rectified towards the end of the first set. And then with Kennan's injury, it, it became a lot easier. But yeah, interesting to touch on that, Mark. Yeah, it, it seemed like that the the target or the game plan for her was go to the backhand and then expose the forehand. That's how I saw it for, for the most of the match. The success rate, obviously, you're right. On the juice side, she couldn't open up the forehand enough to get Kennan on the move playing that forehand. But when she started serving wide on both both sides, both juice and add, and then she would then open up one side of the court, and that's where Iga plays her best tennis, where there's a bit of court opening. She can play the width to be able to create a bit more movement in the opponent. And that's how I saw it happening. And obviously, you know, Sophia Kennan, um, when the ball was down the tee on the juice side, was able to stay in the middle of the court and was very hard to move her because Kennan wants to play through the baseline. And Sviantek, when once she started to get the width in the game, that was it. You know, and it was a game of width. Um, she she did that through the entire tournament. If someone tried to play width for width, it was in trouble. They were in trouble. Um, they needed. I think the the way to play her is to be able to centralize the ball, take away her angles, keep her deep in the court. Not saying that's always going to work, but to me, that's the plan. She's got rounded grips, more the semi-Western kind of grip that she really likes to get around the outsides of the ball. And if she's in the middle of the court, that then brings the sidelines into play where there'd be more errors wide than there would be if she was out wide playing the shot. Absolutely. And uh, one of the, the crazy stats with her run, uh, and I don't think I've updated for, for, for the last match, but she was winning 93% of return games. Unbelievable. <laughs> Wow. I mean, that, that's just like mind-blowing. Yeah. That's incredible. 93%. Well, um, that's insane. I mean, that, that, that's a stat that uh, obviously slower courts and obviously the females don't have the biggest serves. But at the end of the day, if you're winning 93% of, of your uh, return games, you just have to win one service game and, and you're pretty much there for the set. So um, that's an incredible stat. And and congratulations to her. She's obviously done what no other Polish player has been able to do, and that's to win a Grand Slam. And she has been likened to Agnieszka Redwanska, um, and and basically people are already comparing to say that she's a better player because she's won a Grand Slam. But she has quickly um, debunked that idea and basically said that I've got to do this for a lot longer period. She did that for twelve years. I need to I need to pay my dues, and it was a really good level head she's shown. And I think she's got uh, the mindset to be able to be consistent in this game. Yeah, I, I love that about her, and you know, showing that respect to to um, Redvanska, who who sort of paved the way for Polish women certainly in the last a couple of decades. And and we forget Redvanska was very close to winning Wimbledon against Serena Williams, so. Uh, she was a fantastic player. And, and some of that creativity, which I think we, we do see with Iga, is, is inspired by Agnieszka. Um, so it's great great to see that. I think it, she's got, Swantec's got the game on any surface. She, she's going to be an all-court threat, hopefully injury-free, and we're going to see a lot more of her in the, in the next decade. Yeah, and will this be a sign of things to come? Ash Barty in 2019 brought the all-court game to Roland Garros winning 
the title this year, Igus Fiontech basically mimics exactly what Ash Barty did uh, one year ago and has done the same thing with a variety of game coming forward, staying back, playing with angle, playing drop shots, doing the works. Is this where women's tennis is going? That's a question for you out there who are listening to be able to think about in your head and dissect and hopefully uh, you've gotten a little bit more of the insight as to how the two Roland Garros titles were won this year. Rafael Nadal and Igor Fionte, congratulations from us from Crunching the Numbers. Shane Leonage, thank you very much for uh, everything that you do. You can find Shane at Data Driven Sports Analytics. He's also got his own package on the tennis menu where he's dissecting the game from a numbers perspective. Thank you very much. You are also a Cricket Australia. You also do things for multiple players across the tour, including on Jabor. And the work that you do does not go unnoticed, Shane. So thanks so much for your time, your effort, and your research. Thanks, Mark. Pleasure to, to bring this episode to everyone. And uh, stay safe. And uh, for those in Melbourne, we're hopefully only a few weeks away from getting out. Of- exactly right. We're, uh, we're still stuck inside, but uh, pleasure to bring these podcast to you all and hopefully you're enjoying them and uh, getting something from them we'd love to hear from you also if you've got anything that you'd like to ask us any numbers you'd like us to dissect uh, we'll be able to hopefully bring that to you if you just you know message us on social media we're more than happy to uh to help you out in any way we can that's been another episode of crunching the numbers thanks so much for joining us here on uh, the first serves broadcast we hope to see you next week and uh, obviously we're going to bring you the latest in all the numbers from the game of tennis That episode was brought to you by The Tennis Menu. And don't forget, you can also go back and listen to all the First Serve podcasts, including Aussies Only, In the Huddle, and the weekly podcast with Brett Phillips, The First Serve. Subscribe to The First Serve via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform to listen at your convenience to all our weekly content, including past editions of Crunching the Numbers, as well as our dedicated commercial radio program each Monday on SEN that you may have missed at 7pm Eastern, Aussies only, and in the huddle, produced by Study and Play USA. Subscribe to The First Serve, your home of tennis. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.